My guest this week is Charlie Bigham, founder of the incredible Charlie Bigham's Meals. As a self-confessed addict to his fish pie, and apparently I'm in good company as it is his bestseller, one of the things I love most about this conversation is an understanding that however long you've been running your business, call yourself an amateur. And it really gave me strength to keep knowing that I don't know enough. I also love this word contrarian, where we zig when others zag. What a golden thread that runs across all of my interviews and all of us founders, as we always do like to have a bit of mischief. You're going to come away from this interview not only enjoying it, probably being hungry, but you're potentially going to be asking, does my business do enough good for the world and those that work within it? Bow your head and let your eyelids close on down Where we're going you won't need to bring your frown I'm Holly Tucker and welcome to Conversations of Inspiration. Back in 2006, I founded Not On The High Street for my kitchen table and since then I've gone on to launch Holly & Co. I'm the UK ambassador of Creative Small Businesses and I believe that having a business doing what you love is the key to a happy, fulfilled life. My dream is to help everybody start theirs. I'm here to offer advice, inspiration, wisdom and encouragement. And in my view, the best way to do this is by sharing stories. So I've reached out to my favourite small businesses, entrepreneurs and those who simply inspire me and ask them to share theirs. With thanks to Dell Technologies, who've helped bring this free podcast to life. Here are my conversations of inspiration. Hi, Charlie. What a pleasure it is to meet you finally. I have been a huge fan. We have this thing at Holly & Co, which is called a podcast pot. And these are all the people who I've wanted to interview. And you have been on there for so, so long. So now finally I get to, I get to meet you. Well, how very nice to meet you as well, Holly, and I'm very, very privileged to be on your lovely podcast. Thank you. I was also just commenting that, um, you know, myself, Frank and Harry, big fans of the fish pie. It's one of our go-tos. If we've been travelling or anything, we always will have the fish pie. It's like coming home. And I can imagine a lot of people say that to you, that they've started to get a dish that feels, um, yes, like they're coming home to a home-cooked meal. Oh, well, that's, that, 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 that is, is music to my ears. It's lovely to hear when people sort of, you know, become loyal fans of a particular dish. And, uh, and you know, you, you have chosen our best-selling dish, our fish pie. Oh, really? Have yeah. I? It, is that unique of me, or no? It's just well, good taste, huh? It, it, it's good taste. Yeah, you're it's, in. Lo- it's you're in good company. In good company. So li- listen, it was really interesting reading that as a child, um, you were selling. You know, you have this sort of amazing people I interview, and uh, quite a few of them have this entrepreneurial tweak, twinkle in mm. their eye, right at the beginning. And there you were selling seeds. I mean, so I was selling Mars Bars and Monster Munch, by the way, not as um, ethical. You were selling seeds to your school friends to make money. Where do you think that that, that all came from? When I started doing that when I was about seven or eight. Maybe it was because my mum my and dad were very good, actually, with us. They never gave us, you know, any money at all. I mean, really, you know, we, had, we always got less pocket money than our, our sort of classmates. And so, you know, I had to make a little bit of money to survive and keep myself in curly whirlies. (laughs) 
keep yourself curly <laughs> ways. But why did you pick seeds? That's the thing, because I'm interested in like, what, what were you interested in nature at that time? Was that part of your home life? No, they, they weren't just any seeds. They were very particular seeds that I, in fact, I don't think I did sell people seeds. What I sold people, um, I bought seeds and I planted them on blotting paper. And these were mustard and cress seeds. And obviously you can buy seeds for not very much. And then with the magic of blotting paper and a bit of water, you can turn these seeds into a, a lovely, beautiful crop of mustard and cress. And, and the crop is more valuable than the seeds. So, so but you, kids were buying mustard and cress rather than the curly whirlies. I'm just saying they had, yeah. you know, they were, they were looking after their five a day already. Exactly, yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I love this picture of all the kids coming home with their mustard and cress and things. But I, I know you went, to, so you had a, a, a lovely charger. You went to uni um, before you started working in a management consultancy. So initially you worked in a larger business, but then you also, what I want to pick up on is that you worked in a much smaller one with only five employees. A lot of people that I meet along the way have these difference of experiences. What did it teach you to work in two sizes of companies? Well, I was very lucky. I worked for a very large... Cons- I got a job straight out of university, and, and not sort of very logically, because I did English literature at university, and then I went to work for this uh, consultancy company. And they were like one of the big global companies. And, and really, they're a very IT-focused business. You know, that's what they really do. And I, I obviously knew nothing about it. Any, any IT. I don't think I'd actually turned on a computer because, you know, I'm that old. I mean, I uh, so I worked for this, you know, global organisation. And what I thought was really great about it is, is I learned what a sort of globally successful business looks like. And it's great, you know, to expose yourself early on, if you possibly can, to someone who does what they do very, very well. And, but then you also had your experience with the smaller business. And and it, did you feel more connected to that company? I, I mean, obviously, it was a tiny team that I joined. That was a sort of a specialist arts management consultancy. Um, and I joined it at a time when that world was exploding because there was something called the National Lottery had just started and suddenly the arts fantastically had masses of money being thrown at it, which doesn't normally happen to the arts. Yeah. So the arts organisations and the government organisations all needed someone to help with this sudden sort of deluge of money to sort of where to spend it and how to spend it. And and so I was sort of in the right place at the right time working for this little consultancy and we were inundated with work. And so the business grew very fast and I, I can't remember, I think I was there for maybe you know, three, three or four years. But in that time we went from five to 25 people. So that was really interesting to see, you know, a, a small business grow very fast and all the pains that go with that, which you will be familiar with. Yes, and and and, and yourself, I'm sure, but gro- growing your own business. But also, um, I loved reading that you felt that it was, you could move through a small business faster than you can in a bigger business. Now, obviously, that sounds a bit obvious, but at the same time, from my own personal experience, I think that that is a remarkable thing about small businesses, isn't it? You can become master of your trade in a way that in bigger businesses you can't. And there is a ladder. You know, it's actually how much more can you take on? And I think that that's something quite marvellous about growing a business and growing people within it. 
I, I agree. I mean, I think one of the things I think people who join a smaller business have to realise is that they might actually be doing what looks like the same job for you know three years or five years because there aren't lots of layers. But actually, because the business is growing, their job changes every, usually, I'd say every two years. So they think mm. they're doing the same job, but they're not because they're suddenly mm. working for for an organisation which is completely different. It's probably twice the size three years later than when they joined. So it's kind of, there has to be a mindset change. I completely agree. I normally say to people that, you know, you're not going to get promotions here. You just got to keep up. And if you can keep up, (laughs) the company is growing. As you said, you know, in a normal company, you'd be having, you know, different titles given to yourself, you know, but whereas... In, in an entrepreneurial business, it's just keeping, you know, to the seat of your chair and being able to hold on. Um, tell me about how um, you, you moved to, you returned to London. Where were you living at the time? I, I've been, I've lived in London most of my life. Um, when I was doing the arts management consultancy, one of the lovely things about that was that I was working all over the country. I mean, I was based in London, but I was, you know, getting on a train or getting in my car and going up and I was working in Cumbria and and Newcastle and Cornwall. Um, and it was at this time that you had absolutely no knowledge of the food industry. Is this right? And you initially took a job in a deli so that you could learn more about sort of food in general. How did you then go from this sort of deli situation to going and learning about manufacturing, getting your food to market? And what was that journey like just starting? What was that light bulb moment? Well, the lovely thing is I'm still learning. You know, that's a wonderful thing about being an amateur, uh, which I still am. And, and you, you learn and you don't have to follow, you know, the rules Yes. Uh, which, 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 in my view, in terms of when I started the business, the rules about, you know, pre-prepared food were just all wrong. They were mad. It was all about creating cheap, nasty food full of additives where it was, you know, process and price was what people were concerned about. And people had forgotten who were making this food. Businesses had forgotten. And I think still a lot of them have, you know, about the love of food and the joy of food and the deliciousness of food. And and so there was a set of rules which, which you know, actually meant that it was impossible. If I'd followed the rules, it would have been impossible to mm. make delicious food. You know, you weren't allowed to use fresh herbs because they were people, I remember telling me, they said they're dangerous. I said, dangerous? How can a fresh herb be dangerous? You know, that's what restaurants use. So they've got lots of bugs in them and they'll make people sick. It's like, how extraordinary. So what was that moment then? So when did you decide to put your apron down in the deli and say, right, I'm going to go and do this myself? Well, I think I'd, I'd actually decided I was going to do it by myself before I got the job in the deli. I just thought, you know, I'm going to launch myself into this world of food. And of course, we are all experts in food. You know, even if we haven't worked in food, we are all experts in food because we, well, I eat food quite a lot. Um <laughs> Uh, at least three times a, at too. least three times a day so it's a nice industry to go in because we've all actually got a lot more knowledge than we we know you don't need to be have worked in the food industry to know about food or at least have some opinions about food so yes but i thought i'd never worked in food and before i set up a business i ought to go and you know get a little bit of cheese under the fingernails so to speak <laughs> um for for a few months and and that was good. I worked in a lovely deli in Notting Hill and I learned, you know, of course I learned lots about food. 
uh, working in that deli. And, and I learned what hard work food is because, you know, food, whatever bit of the food business you're in, you kind of start early, you finish late, and it, it happens seven days a week. Yes, you're right, actually. I've not met a single entrepreneur or small business in the food industry who doesn't work their behinds off all the time. It is, you know, you, you, you've got to have your eyes wide open to go into the food world. What was that moment that you went, right, I'm starting my brand? You, you decided before the deli, but what were the next steps? You quit the deli and... Started making some food on my kitchen table. Literally. Yeah, yeah. And what about manufacturing? So you didn't know anything about manufacturing food no. before this. Yes. So how, how did you pluck up the nerve to just go and do it? Uh, well, because... You know, again, food manufacturing is not very hard. You know, I mean, you buy a bunch of fresh ingredients, you you chop them up, you marinate, you might cook them, put them in some sort of container, and you sell them. So it's really it, it's about as mm. simple as manufacturing gets, and and it, it's also very fascinating how stuff is made. I mean, I love going around to see how anything's made, and over the years, you know, we have got better at making food, and we work with brilliant partners who you know, to help, you know, in terms of providing us with great equipment, you know, just fantastic ovens and saucepans and frying pans, you know, quite big ones now. But, uh, but you know, it's brilliant. It's brilliant working with, with people and, 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 you know, and, and, and I'm, you know, you, you just carry on learning and you hopefully carry on getting better. So many people listening, some will be thinking about starting a food business. If you go back to the Charlie in that first year, what would you advise to businesses thinking now about getting into the food industry? Would you recommend it? Is there something that you would advise? Yeah, I think it's a great business. It, it, you know, it's a it's a very big industry. People, you know, have varied tastes. So you can start a business in food and you can grow it quite quickly because there are lots of, you know, niche markets, if you like, which you, you might you know, hopefully you get lucky on and and turn it into a non-niche market over time so and it's just not it's not difficult you know food i mean you have to be a bit resilient obviously but but you know just get going that's what i say to people you know my, my advice is 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 usually the best time to do it is now is now but you started with a pot of savings twenty five thousand pounds you started with your name uh you had three products zesty caribbean lamb cajun chicken with salsa and salmon with dill and cream sauce and i think you made what 20 meals in total in your first week but that is very different to your first stockist being waitrose i mean how did you manage to get yourself into waitrose at that point in time it, it, it's extraordinary yeah they weren't actually our first stock we, we we supplied about 20 you know we started with one obviously but got up to about 20 independent shops smaller independent shops London. yes okay and then and then and then someone uh you know, I did talk to lots of people along the way when I was getting going who, who did know about the sort of food industry. And someone said to me very sensibly, you should pick up the phone to the nice people at Waitrose because they're lovely and they're very supportive of, you know, small people, uh, small businesses and, and stuff. So I, I, I rang the switchboard. 
<laughs> so did you, and literally, did someone put you through to the right person? I think, yes, after a bit. They were, you know, the very lovely lady on reception who I subsequently got to know, obviously, because people who work at Waitrose work there for a long time. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think um, she was po- probably a bit hesitant, you know, to, to, to put me through to one of the buying team to begin with. Um, but I persuaded her that it was, you know, a good thing to do. <laughs> oh, it's brilliant. It reminds me a little of when I spoke to Sebastian Pohl, um, founder of Pucker Herbs, um, and his travels inspired his business too. And he was frustrated by the herbal teas um, that were available. So you were frustrated with the ready meals. Um, and he just thought, you know what, I can do better. And I think that is one of the things that um, spurs us on, isn't it, as founders? Just that little voice saying, I think I can do better. And I know that you previously spoken saying that you had a desire to revolutionise the food industry because, as you said, delicious food makes people feel good. Do you think that having a, a product that evokes strong emotion is one of the key ingredients to building successful businesses? Um, I feel just incredibly lucky to be in a in an industry, in a, in a business, which is basically about giving people pleasure. You know, it, it, it's just, isn't that just a lovely thing? I mean, you know, it, 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 it's, yeah, if we get it right, hopefully when we get it right, you know, people eat our food and it, it it's more than, our food is not just about fuel. It's about sort of the celebration of lovely food and enjoying yourself and having a nice chat with your friends or family or, you know, over some food. And, and, and it's a pleasurable experience. And it's just lovely to be in business doing that. And one of the things that you've spoken about is like demonstrating this commitment to fresh ingredients, high quality food, being a business that did things differently. So your packaging has always been a point of difference um, from the beautiful illustrations to the wooden trays and slogans that say things like, we can't stand ready meals either, um, which is brilliant. Was this always the plan to challenge the perception like sometimes I feel like us founders along with finding sort of knowing that we can do something better we also like to be slightly mavericky you know just uh, you want to challenge you know um, how things have been done the fact that your product couldn't be put in a microwave from the start you must have had resistance to that but almost what I would say is a really positive resistance to it yeah I think someone has describe me or maybe I've described myself as a contrarian you know if if everyone else is is going left you want to go right you know while others zig you want to zag all that stuff you know and I think it's a good thing to be a contrarian but you have to be a bit careful that you don't end up just just doing something because everyone else is doing something else because sometimes sometimes they're right they're right (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I've definitely definitely made that mistake lots of times. So tell me about going out with that packaging, the wooden packaging. Firstly, we're going to go on to talking about um, your B Corp status and 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 your good. But you know that really was quite mavericky, wasn't it? When you think about the plastic trays, the soppy lasagnas full of preservatives, as you said, you went out with a. Firstly, a dish that was a ready meal, but couldn't be put in a microwave. Well, it's just about, I mean, what we wanted to do was create delicious food. And 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 actually, it's you can't eat delicious food out of a microwave. 
And and although people have microwaves in this country, almost nobody uses them for cooking. They use them yep. for defrosting things. Defrosting. And, and warming up cups of tea and, you know, I don't know. I mean, they're, they're, not, they're not cooking devices. So if you want to get lovely sort of bubbling cheese sauces and, and you know, browning of ingredients, you need to, you need to apply heat, um, whether mm. that is from an oven or from a pan. You need heat. So, yeah, we, 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 we've never done anything that goes in a microwave and we never will. They're, 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 they're for something else. And, and, you know, the packaging thing's interesting. I mean, you know, it, it feels inherently depressing to eat lovely food out of something that's been in a sort of plastic container. And and obviously it's also, you know, a long time ago, it just felt, I mean, we didn't, you know, before David Attenborough sort of woke us up, woke up the whole world to how awful plastic is, you know, we've been using our wooden trays now for, I think, 15 or 20 years. Wow. And so we were we were early adopters. But what's nice about the wooden trays, apart from the sort of obviously brilliant environmental dimension, and we've now had it all sort of checked and scientifically sort of shown that our wooden trays are actually the most sustainable form of packaging. I mean, no surprise, but it's quite nice to have it independently mm, verified. Mm. Um, but uh, it, it also sends, they send a subliminal message um, to you, Holly, when you're shopping in the supermarket and you walk down the aisle and you just see something, oh, that's a bit different and different is quite yes. good. And I think also they have a little cue that says, oh, this food might have been prepared with a bit more care and love and attention love um and yeah. a sort of that artisan kind of cue you know is it, that is who we are so it's really nice to be able to you know just almost subliminally get that message across to people i think that's the the point isn't it about detail it, it can literally make a brand the 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 detail the feeling that you evoke as you said you walk down the aisle and you see wood, not plastic, you, it stops you. You instantly do think something. Well, you think it subconsciously, but the, all of these feelings are coming through because that founder has decided to get into the detail of their product, of their experience. Now, it was that detail that I read that um, your food and weight trays was experiencing a 2,300% growth very quick expansion. How did you plan and how did you even deal with it? I mean, firstly, it must have been fantastic. But, you know, you've got to be careful what you wish for, don't you, in this game? I mean, we've been very lucky. You know, since since we started, we have grown every year and we continue to grow. And I think you have to be very careful when you grow. But you sort of, you have to be careful with the choices you make. So I, it, it's quite easy and there are lots of people saying, oh, well, it's great, you're growing. So you can turn that into being more profitable. You know, because if you, you know, make twice as much food in the same space and the same number of people, well, just imagine how much money you're going to make. And that would be the wrong thing to do, in my view. It, it, um, what you have to do is you have to take the benefits, the fruits of that growth and reinvest it. Reinvest it in, in your people who are obviously, we all know that, you know, you can't have a business without brilliant people. So you need to make sure you're sharing some of those fruits with, with your team, but, but also sort of, you know, buying better equipment so that you can cook your food better, buying, spending more on your ingredients. And so I think you've got to turn it into a virtuous circle rather than a vicious circle growth. It's quite easy to, to be, to go down the trap of, Oh well, we'll just we'll you know be to become a bit greedy actually. 
Yeah. And to what I want to just stop on that point because I've personally experienced it in my you know, sometimes my naivety and and growing and sometimes, you know, if you surround yourself with certain um, businesses and people, you know, they think, you know, size is everything. I, you know, I remember talking to people in the early days and I said, you know, the first question was, how many people do you employ? And I, I always find that now I look back and I, and you think, gosh, what a silly question to ask. It's, it, as you said, I love that thought that it's about reinvesting in to make yourself better and bigger is not necessarily better. You must have had these pressures always. When do you think you make that distinction? Like think about small businesses listening because, you know, by expanding, if you haven't got masses of income coming in, you might have to cut the quality levels. Um, You might have to make people work longer to become bigger which camp do you land in, you know, at what points in time? I, I don't think you should ever make something less good. Your job is to always make it better, you know. I mean, it, your product or service that your business is about, the only way you're going to survive, let alone thrive in the long term, is to make it better. You know, you've got to constantly be saying it's not good enough. I think you need that restless dissatisfaction around around what you're doing. If if that is if you're interested in your business being around for the long term, you know, and 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 I I completely respect that some people set up a business and they want to have it for a period of time, and then sell it on to someone else. And I think you can probably be very clever, and if you're going, if that's your plan, in the final year you can sort of cut a few corners and hope nobody notices before you've got it over the line and sold it to someone else and it's someone else's problem. But it sounds like that's not your plan, right? That's it sounds like, plan. I mean, it, that's not your plan. Did you, before I ask my next question, did you know, Charlie, always that this was a business for the long term for you? Did you re- Did you always know that you wanted this to be part of your life? I, I'm, I'm, I'm a long term person. I think long term is much more interesting than short term. Don't really get short term. Yeah. And, and, and is that, has it enhanced your personal life? Hugely. Hugely. It's been fantastic. I mean, obviously, you know, sort of financially, it's been useful because the business has done quite well. And that's given me, uh, you know, sort of made that side of life easy and and very, very fortunate to be in that position. Um, But it's just been enjoyable. I mean, it's just such a privilege to to do something, to wake up every day and think it's another, it's going to be another enjoyable day. How do you preserve the magic as you scale? Because of course, you know, when we talk about the early days, you were putting that growth money, you know, back into the business. But now you are talking about a much bigger business. What what are some of the ways I've loved listening to entrepreneurs talk about how they keep magic of culture, of values, of um, the experience? What's been your perspective on this as you've grown? I think you have to remind yourself every day of why you set it up and why you've enjoyed it so far and just keep doing more of that. I mean, I think one of the lovely things is I found there have been stages in the, in, 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 along, the, along the way when you end up doing things, having to do bits of the business that you don't enjoy and surprise, surprise, you're not very good at. And it's, and it's lovely as businesses grow that you can sort of, you can recruit brilliant people to do those bits much better than you would ever do them. Um, and then, you know, let them do that bit. And then, and then you sort of gravitate to the bits that you enjoy the most. 
and 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 I think and I have this you know you, you, the, the 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 bits you enjoy the most are probably the the bits where you're adding most value and doing 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 your best. When you started out, you obviously were a jack of all trades. And did you become more and more confident about your weaknesses as you travelled through the journey? Yeah, I've always been someone who who believes that you can you can basically do anything. Nothing's too complicated. You know, if you just learn learn to become a sort of very bad accountant. You know, for example, <laughs> or bookkeeper, or uh, you know, so so I I'm I'm always happy to roll up my sleeves and get stuck in and and just do something in a completely amateur way to sort of hold the fort for a bit. Um, but I think I've been re. I mean, it's definitely there have been some things that I just know I'm bad. I'm not. I I can do, but I'm bad at. So it's been a delight to to let go of. I guess there are a few things that you probably discover over time that you think you might be all right at and you realise you're not very good at. (laughs) (laughs) The realisation. The question to ask yourself is, do you enjoy doing something? Because if there's something you don't enjoy doing, that's usually the clue to me that I'm not very good at it. We're working with our partners at Dell Technologies to empower small businesses across the UK with the tools and knowledge they need to thrive. Every week, we bring you the Small Business Pharmacy Live to help you navigate your business journey, covering a huge range of topics. Here I am talking to Alex Monroe about how to build your own brand through your own experiences. Sometimes, you know, if we think about who's listening, you know, people don't think that maybe they're important to their brand. What have I got to say that's interesting? What do I believe that's interesting? That's a lot of what people say. But actually, you're, the essence of when I think of your brand, I'm slightly painting a picture of you. Yeah, it's, it, was, it was so lovely when you did that. And the thing to remember is that I'm no different to anyone else. And, and, and everyone has an interest and everyone has a story and everyone has a personality. And whenever anyone does something, it's different because it's them doing it. So I always think it's really important for anyone, you know, don't think that you haven't, you haven't kind of got some zing or some special thing like a sort of celebrity does, because you do, because you're you. For the latest lessons, advice and insights, join me every Wednesday at midday live on my Instagram. You can also visit holly.co slash hub for my business advice hub, a free online resource thanks to Dell Technologies filled with content from myself and some of our small business community, sharing lessons from our journeys to help you navigate yours. And with a continued commitment to empower you, every week Dell are giving away one tech in a box. For a chance to win a brand new XPS laptop and a whole host of other goodies, head to holly.co slash get involved with thanks to Dell Technologies. Now, let's get back to our conversation of inspiration. Tell me, uh, I was speaking to Angus Churrell, uh, founder of Hotel Chocolat, and he told me that he has to taste and approve every single product in his invention kitchen. Um, is that the way for you? Do you taste everything? And do you have a favourite dish? I taste everything the whole time because that is 
who we are and what we're about. And so nothing can, you know, go out, which I don't know what it tastes like. Um, and that's tasting new stuff, but also our, our existing foods, you know. I mean, just because yes. we make a, you know, quite a nice fish pie, we still need to make sure it, it tastes right. So I, I eat our fish pie probably at least once a week. And and we're always looking to make our existing recipes better as well. So it's very important, you know, to be tasting things and be challenging ourselves. How do we make this just one percent better? And your favourite dish is it hard? Oh, favourite dish is very hard. Uh, it, it sort of depends on depends on the mood. You know, I, I, I there was a time when we had a few recipes in our range, which we we have a fridge uh, at work when we encourage people to take our food home and try it at home because that's the only proper way to eat our food rather than just having a mouthful here and there. Um, and and I realised about 10 years ago that I, as I went to the fridge at the end of the day, there'd be a few recipes that I'd think, oh, that's disappointing, that's in there, I don't want to take that home. And I thought, well, ah. why are we selling it? We've got to stop doing yes. that because if I don't want to take it home, then why are we selling it? Um, so now... Yeah when I go to our fridge, it's a really tough choice because I yeah. want to take it all home, but I can't. <laughs> <laughs> I've read that when, um, I've read that you are on a mission um, to see your business do the right thing, have real impact and inspire others. And I wanted to talk to you a little bit about your commitment to being a business for good. Um, you're a certified B Corp business, uh, meaning you have a commitment to the triple bottom line, profit, people and the planet. We are fingers crossed, Charlie, getting our certificate in a few months time. So well you, you know the process you have to go through to go there. It's not easy. Um, but you've been ahead of this curve, I would say, with your commitment to sustainability for many years. I wanted to just ask you, before I talk about the old quarry in Somerset, before that sort of era, why was it important to you right from the beginning? Well, I have a fundamental belief that, that business should be and quite often is a force for good in the world. Uh, unfortunately, you know, there's always lots of newspaper headlines about the bad guys, you know, and they get, you know, a disproportionate amount of uh, uh, of coverage. And actually very little is written about, you know, and I come across just masses of people in business who are trying to, yes, they're trying to run their business and, you know, make a profit and Businesses need to make a profit so you can reinvest in all of that. But actually, they really care about their impact on the world and on society and, and, and everything as well. And, and we care deeply. And I have, right from the start, I've, I've, I've kind of wanted our business to be about uh, making delicious food, obviously, but also showing, you know, being responsible, thinking about the long term. It's another reason long-term thinking is good in business. Um, you know, we want to be deeply connected to the communities where we work in, but also do the right thing for the long term for the planet and, and, and society. It, it all sounds a bit, you know, it sounds a bit highfalutin, but I think it's really important. And actually, it's been one of the really lovely things as we've grown, actually. You do, you create, there's more time to focus on that in, in a, as the business gets bigger. And you can call on more expertise, so so hopefully you can get better. And the B Corp thing, yeah, it was it was a really great. I'm very proud that we're a B Corp. Um, as you say, it's it's a good, robust process you go through. It's no, it's not just a walkover. It's not a sort of tick box, is it? 
It's it's proper. No, not at all. It's proper. And for yes. us, and, I, and, I, and I'm sure it's the same for you, for us, it's actually, a lot of it was about an affirmation of what we've already been doing. Um, but I've mm. been really impressed by uh, the rigour of the process. And I think it's really helped us because it's put some structure around, you know, some of the good things that we've done historically. It's drawn more people in the business into it so we so i think going forward we will do the good stuff in a more structured more committed way you know rather than the slight ad hoc oh we've got a spare five minutes so let's do a good yeah. thing yeah and and i hope the other thing you know we, we sort of realized as we went through the process that we do all these good things and so we just forget to tell people about them and i'm not talking about the wider world i'm talking talking about the people in our business. So there's loads of great stuff we do. Nobody knows about. I just recognise that many people, yeah, that that there is this sort of, um, this is who we are. And, and then when people from the outside world look at you, you're like, but no one knows that. And it's mm. it's your job, mm. isn't it, as a business mm. to, mm. it's not boasting, it is actually telling people of the hard work that's going into doing good. And one of the things I want to talk to you about was your decision to invest in an old quarry in Somerset. Um, you've set up what you call a food production campus with an mm. aim of creating an outstanding working environment, um, employing hundreds of local people. Um, it must have been, I mean, I've been looking at images, Charlie, monumental as an undertaking. Um, and this is the food factory that isn't really a food factory. It looks like an architectural work of art. It blends beautifully with the surroundings. Um, tell me what led to you doing this. Um, well, there was some practical stuff um, in that we'd we, you know, we're, we're, we, we, we historically the business has been based in in northwest London, up in Park Royal, and we ran out of space, and which has happened a few times, and so we looked around London, couldn't find anywhere that we liked and enough land that we could afford, and 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 um, and so, so that led us to look outside London, and and we just decided we wanted our own home. You know, twenty years in, we thought we deserved to yes. stop stop being a teenager. And you know, yeah, and and own some land of our own and build something for the long term. And it was the most, it was a fantastic, fantastic, brilliant thing to do. And I'm I'm hugely proud of the amazing. We worked with some brilliant young architects, and we created this really inspiring place. Um, uh, and we won a Reba Architectural Award. I think we're probably the only people who produce food in a architect winning building. And that's nice because, as you know, I like to do things differently to everyone else. It's it's brilliant because you have you have a, the whole place is sustainable. Is that is that right? You have water recycling systems, natural air vents instead of aircon, motion sensors, LED lights across the entire site. Yeah, yeah, we've done we've done as you know we've done quite a lot. I think we've got more to go. We 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 put a big. I think we we, we put a lot of solar panels, about a quarter of a million pounds worth of solar panels on our roof. Um, eighteen months or two years ago so we're generating uh, around 10% of our electricity is coming you know doing that ourselves now so that's great I mean there's more to get there's more to do there's more to do but it's the sustainability bit is great but actually you know we've just created a really lovely working environment you know we're surrounded mm. by wild wildflower meadows and you know amazing wildlife and and it, it's quite it's quite uh, it's very unusual in 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 the food in the world of food 
making yeah. food um, and it's very lovely and we're, we're very happy with it. Do you think that there is more awareness generally, Charlie, of um, businesses doing good and and most importantly, customers being aware of this? Because I, I, I know that you said that um, when researching you that, you know, Generation Z shoppers consider um, at point of purchase and are willing to pay more. Do you think actually as a business move, you know, companies have to be putting this on their agenda? I think businesses are wise to put it on their agenda. I don't, I don't, you know, there will be some people who choose not to and pursue a different path and that's absolutely fine. But uh, it kind of, again, returns to the sort of, if you're, if you're in it for the long term, I think you want, you want, I want our customers to be able to delve deep and ask awkward questions about us uh, mm-hmm. and, 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 and hopefully, you know, when they ask awkward questions, get responses they feel comfortable with. And I mean, those responses will not always be we're perfect because, of course, we're not. We're far from perfect, but mm-hmm. hopefully we're aware of where we're falling short and we're on a journey to fix those bits as well. Um, and it's a sort of never-ending journey, isn't it, to try and be, yeah. to try and do the right thing, because the right thing keeps changing. And, and and if you you need to be hard on yourself, and you're never doing you're never doing enough. How do you take um, over the years? You must have had just picking up on that sort of awkwardness and those hard questions and the ones that you naturally as a founder feel very defensive of because of course you're pouring every day everyone is pouring everything into every day and then to get bad feedback or to have a criticism is difficult isn't it but one of the things I've learned and I'd love to hear your thoughts and some of the things that you've has challenged you is that is the only the hard truths um, are the 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 bits that really make you leapfrog forward. You know, having bad feedback, if you can take it on board and really delve into it, it's it is a gift. It's a blessing. Do you agree? Well, I, I I more than agree. I more than agree. I mean, it's actually. I mean, I'm I'm really delighted. It's in, it's absolutely inherent in our business. We get about. 200 customers who write to us, usually email, but letters and, and or phone calls or whatever on social media. So we, 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 we have about 200 people who get in touch with us every week. And uh, the majority of those are very nicely writing to say how lovely our food's been. And, you know, and that's great because we're able to share those. But actually, there's quite a chunk every week who write and tell us that there's something wrong. And every single one of, I mean, I read every single one of our comments, good or bad, you know, they come into my phone, I read them every day, and it keeps me really in touch with what's going on and what our consumers think. But we, you know, each, each one that comes in, and they obviously sort of, there are patterns to them. It's, it's the greatest gift we have in our business to have that information, because that is, we, we take every complaint, every, you know, even mildly negative comments seriously and we are determined to address it and fix it and we will always do that and that's really helped us to get a little bit better sort of every day every week every month every year every week royal mail helps small businesses deliver across the uk 
with a staggering 74% of online shoppers more likely to use a retailer if they use them, Royal Mail helps small businesses thrive. As a central and crucial pillar within the small business community, Royal Mail continue to be dedicated to supporting our UK small business community. And therefore, I'm thrilled that they're giving away their ad break space to a small business founder every week, providing them an opportunity to showcase their business to tens of thousands of listeners right here on this very podcast. If you'd like to take Royal Mail up on their generosity, head over to holly.co for more information. So let's hand over to this week's Royal Mail Independent Ad Break winner. Hi, this is Sanjay here from Spice Kitchen. I just wanted to introduce our amazing award-winning ranges of spice tins and barbecue products. Ideal for any foodie in your life who loves to experiment with flavour and also for men who are hard to buy for. Our tins are packed with spices that are bursting with flavour and ready to use. You'll even get a free recipe guide with every tin to help you make the best use of your spices. We've got a wide choice of different types and they also come with an optional silk sari gift wrap. Find us at www.spicekitchenuk.com and for loads of awesome tips on cooking with spices, search for Spice Kitchen on Instagram and Facebook. To find out more about how Royal Mail can help you, head to royalmail.com slash business hub to visit their dedicated hub for small businesses. Now, let's get back to our conversation of inspiration. It's been an unprecedented time living through this global pandemic and the hospitality industry, a devastating period um, with no option to open. But conversely, with no fault of our own, there's some businesses who were able to be there for people during this pandemic. I'm assuming that this has been a interesting period of time for you. Did you feel a responsibility as a food retailer to ensure supply and keep everyone fed? Because, you know, there was a moment, wasn't there, in that first pandemic that people were running to supermarkets at two o'clock in the morning. Um, And it must have been a very unique, interesting perspective that you had as a founder of being a food producer. I mean, let's face it, it's been a pretty horrible 18 months for everybody, you know, in in many, many ways. And uh, we've been very fortunate from a business point of view that actually we've you know, people eat and, and, and obviously with restaurants closed, people probably have bought a bit more food from supermarkets than they would and that's benefited us. Um, but I'm just, I'm in awe of our team in the business who've come in every day throughout the pandemic, you know, three times and especially in the early days when it was, there were moments where people were really scared and really worried and they, you know, but the team kind of pulled together and came in every day and we've we've done our best to produce food and and, and our sort of you know order patterns have been going up and down like a yo-yo and that's been difficult and sometimes we've had to you know really it's it's stretched us and stretched us you know right right across the business which has been problems with getting ingredients sometimes and suppliers who've been in trouble who we've had to help out or lots and lots of things so it's been really tough it's been a really tough time and the whole team have done an amazing job um in responding and and yes that has been i have i certainly to begin with there were you know i felt there was a big responsibility people who were producing food had to keep producing food 
because you know in those early days things were it was quite scary and and things would have really you know wheels would have really started to come off if there hadn't been food on the shelves and we saw that you know as a bit of panic buying which meant there was a shortage but if that had become a sustained shortage because if if 20 or 30 businesses like ours just said this is too hard let's just not turn up to work and make food you know that then things would have got got pretty gnarly yeah absolutely and 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 i know that you've also been wonderful to your community delivering parcels as well to your local community that must have felt nice to really be on the ground that was lovely it was lovely to it was you know it was lovely to just get the heartfelt response from people and it was it's just lovely to do something occasionally that's just surprising and and, yeah. and and then get the, some of the lovely responses we got back on that. So and pictures people sent in, uh, and uh, that was it was great. Yeah, really nice. Yeah, tell me. Um, at the end of this interview, I ask amazing founders such as yourself um, if you were sitting in the cart on a roller coaster, which is what I summarise this journey like being on a total roller coaster you're obviously well fed in your roller coaster um you have your favorite meals all around you what would you say has been one of your biggest lows charlie well i mean sadly that's it, it, it's easy to answer um i two two close colleagues of mine at work have have died young um and you know one actually uh, lovely nick who worked with me for nearly 15 years and he died in, in january having had a you know, terrible time with with cancer for the last five years, and 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 then about five years ago, one of my one of my colleagues, George, you know, died of again of cancer. Um, you know, he was only thirty four, and he was a he was a sort of uh, amazing part of our business. And so those those moments, you know, those are those are low low awful moments. Oh, Charlie, I'm sorry. Oh, uh, I can imagine that you've built from meeting you here and and researching you what a beautiful culture and values you have as a sort of family unit. And um, so I can imagine that must have been incredibly difficult. And can I ask you, um, conversely, what would you say has been one of your biggest highs on this journey? Well, I think I I think it was probably when the first fish pie rolled out of our new kitchen in Somerset because. Building the new kitchen in Somerset, it was it was an amazing sort of you know roller coaster uh, the, the project, a sort of two year yes, project I can to, 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 to build this incredible, very quite large building in in the in a quarry and and deal with all the things we had to bring all the services to the quarry, you know, gas and electricity, and we used quite a lot of both of those and water and 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 stuff, and so that was a. That was it. Was just a really exciting project, and I had a brilliant team around me. I mean, both internally, you know, a few people we sort of sucked out of the day-to-day business, but also brilliant, lovely architects, Field and Fowles, a brilliant building company um, who we work with. So it was a really, it was full on. It was full on, and it was it was just brilliant when we opened. And it was sort of, it wasn't just the culmination of the two years of designing and building the building because we've put everything into the building that we've learnt over over the previous 20 years and it and it's fantastic so it makes me very proud when i when i well, see well from seeing see the pictures and i hope one day to visit 
I can imagine that must be pr- a yeah. proud moment. Come and see us. It is. I would love to. <laughs> I would absolutely love to. Now, listen, Charlie, this is the point in the podcast where I know everybody is um, really excited to hear your letter to younger self. Thank you so much for writing it. Um, and it's that moment where I take off my glasses and sort of just sit back and I, and I hand over to you. So thank you, Charlie, in advance. Thank you, Holly. Well... This is this is odd. This is great. So writing a letter to myself. I haven't done this before. So um, off we go. Dear Charlie, I started a business 25 years ago this year. And it's been a fantastic experience. And I just can't believe how lucky I've been both to end up doing what I'm doing, because I love it, and that things have worked out the way they have, because it's been pretty good. As you are just 21 years old and setting out on your journey into the world, I thought this might be a good moment to share a few things I've learned along the way. And who knows, there might even be something useful for you in here. So off we go. My five tips as you set off into the world. Number one, listen. As you get going, and fingers crossed later on, as whatever you do takes root, advice from other people who really know what they're talking about is golden. So take advice from as many people as you possibly can. But this is the important bit. Then digest everyone's advice and only follow your own. It's your life. So when it comes to the crunch decisions, only you will know what to do. Number two, be true to your principles. You may not have even realised it yet, but you have a set of principles that are your guiding light. Be brave and write these down as soon as you can and then stick with them through thick and thin. Number three, be yourself. Be happy with who you are, faults and all and never try to be someone else. You'll come across lots of people in life trying to be someone who they're not, and they're seldom happy. Number four, enjoy yourself. The more you enjoy doing something, the better you are likely to be at it. Along the way, you'll end up doing things that you don't even realise that you would end up doing. And just keep doing the ones you enjoy, but as soon as you possibly can, find someone else to do things that you don't enjoy. And number five, finally, it's not all about work. For me, starting up and running and growing a business has at times come close to being all-consuming. Never let this happen. Your family and your friends are what life is really about. So always make sure you make time for that. So good luck, have fun, and I'll be with you all the way. Charlie. Thank you, Charlie. That was brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. And it's it's for everyone listening, and I was just doing my dose of medicine that was coming from you. You do these are pieces of advice that you do forget, don't you? And actually, you're so right. These are fundamental lessons that you've learned along the way. And um, I hope your 21-year-old self would listen. I'm sure they wouldn't, because who listens (laughs) when they're 21? (laughs) 
don't you just wish that you'd say, come on, Charlie, you've got to listen to me. I do know what I'm talking about. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know... It takes it takes until you're fifty to learn to listen. That's the problem. I think I think that's the case. Oh. Charlie, bless you. Thank you so much. This podcast has just been awesome, and um, and for uh, I I know so many people who will be shouting out their favourite dishes um, at this podcast. Um, so know that those vibes are coming back at you, and and well done for you being you. Um, well, brilliant. Holly, it's been really lovely chatting to you. I'm sorry we haven't been able to do it in person because that would have been even more fun. Wouldn't um, it? However, you know, if you happen to be down in Somerset, come and see us. And I mean that. That's genuine. It would be lovely. It would be lovely to show you around. I would absolutely love that. That's one of my most favourite things to do. And, um, and I'll keep you to that. Yeah, do. Bless you. Thank you so <laughs> okay. much, Charlie. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Before you go, don't forget to head to holly.co to be in with a chance of winning a brand new Dell Technologies XPS laptop and a whole host of other goodies. And if you've enjoyed this episode, if it's helped you along your journey or inspired you, would you mind rating and reviewing? Your support means the world to me. It really does spread the word and will help inspire even more people to build a life they love. And if you want to hear all our latest news, you can sign up to my weekly newsletter, Holly's Desk Notes, over at holly.co.